Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And today, oh man, we have a great guest for you. A wonderful rock on tour, um, uh, wonderful nerd personality. You know him from his dope-ass YouTube channel, Heroes Reforged. Without further ado, give it up for our man and yours, Hector Navarro. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Great to see you. Great to hear you. I'm so happy to be here, and uh, I'm really happy to be talking about what we're talking about because I think we've narrowed it down. Ed was very helpful in trying to like <laughs> pin this down, what we're talking about. So I'm very excited. Thank you. Oh, well, I don't think I could get a better cue than that. So uh, as you know from the title, we are talking about Marvel, but the myriad titles, uh, what is it going to – is it about – how great Marvel is? Is that interesting radio? Is it about how shitty Marvel is? Is that honest radio? Yeah. Is it the greatest franchise of all time? Right. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard to to pin down. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is uh, gargantuan and has created a phenom yeah. unlike anything that I think we've ever seen before. But, but I'm interested in how we got here because all of us, you know, we don't need to date ourselves, but yeah. all of us have been here quite long enough. To know that Marvel wasn't always everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. It wasn't and, always and the safest bet. I also want to say, too, to your credit, Ed, like the the way that you helped me figure out what the topics, the topic that I wanted to talk about is. And thank you also. I must mention, because on every topic, I have to have an obligatory reference to 3D movies. So thank you for steering me away from that, which is uninteresting <laughs> and nobody nobody cares about that. And I also said, like, one of the topics is like, I want to talk about how the movie John Carter is good. And you're like, mm, let's steer away from that. Yeah, yeah. But so, you know, I have to mention those two things. Those are my things. But um, but I want to go back to something that you said a second ago, where it was like the way that the public seems to have voted. We love Marvel. I want to immediately respectfully disagree and even point out the fact that, like, we're specifically talking about marvel studios as an entity we're specifically mm. i want to talk mm. about the mcu the marvel cinematic universe all that that entails because we just saw the movie morbius uh get defeated at the box office by sonic the hedgehog 2 so yep. like i i truly believe that even though the first venom movie from sony starring tom hardy made a bunch of money um that audiences generally speaking know the difference or at least feel something to be like, I'm going to go check this out. I'm not going to go check this out, even if it has the word Marvel on it. And mm. there's uh, there. So but but I do understand, though, that like Morbius only got greenlit as a movie because it's a Marvel property. And that we can talk about that whole thing, about how the Sony film studio has the rights to certain Marvel characters. And like they're, in my mind, kind of playing the best hand they got dealt so I'm yep. not necessarily like, you know, um, uh, uh, frustrated on that level. But I do want to point out that like just because certain products in the world have Marvel associated with it or like these movie trailers say in association with Marvel, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't guarantee a success. It doesn't guarantee a high quality product. And yep. in my mind, neither does the mcu as a whole just because something is from marvel studios that belongs a part of that franchise it doesn't mean it is automatically going to be good but i do want to say right off the bat also if the thesis is is the marvel cinematic universe the actually the greatest my answer will be yes and i would love to 
basically talk about can we prove that or disprove it or just kind of, you know, attack it from all angles because I really strongly believe that they have made all the right moves and I also think that my thesis is I think that this franchise is the greatest and has has made a dent in popular culture that is massive and immeasurable because in my mind they have just lifted what is also the greatest, which is the Marvel Comics world. And they've done it correctly. There have been Marvel movies in the past. We've all sat through Ghost Rider. We've all sat through Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver (laughs) Surfer. We all remember Howard the Duck, whatever that is. But in my mind, those movies, even the early Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire, as great as they were, you know, the early X-Men films, in my mind, those were not Marvel films. Those were, that was a Spider-Man movie. And this was a sci-fi movie that had the X-Men name attached to it. And, you know, Blade is an awesome Wesley Snipes vampire movie. And it's a it's a Blade movie. It's a Marvel movie because Marvel is all of those things. But it's not like a Marvel Universe movie. You know what I mean? And so Marvel Studios, I think, has made all these right calls because in my mind as a fan and as a person who studies their sort of production and how they make stuff and the decisions they make, it's all about actually adapting what is Marvel Comics. And depending on who you ask, that's a good thing, that's a bad thing. Depending on who you ask, they care or don't care about Marvel Comics. But you're listening to somebody right now who cares so effing deeply about Marvel Comics that like it it it, it was a no-brainer that as soon as the first Avengers movie came out, I went, "Oh, this is my favorite movie franchise of all time." Because they have done what I've loved since I was 5 years old, since I was 6 years old, 7, started reading comics and learning about this this idea and also for my money i think that marvel comics has been mostly making the right moves in that regard as well for for 50 years for you know going on 60 years whatever it is so so that's my thesis that's my statement let's have a discussion i'd love to hear your guys's thoughts i would love to talk about the misfires the misses of this movie franchise, the missteps. And also, you also said something, Ed, that I want to bring up too, because it was brilliant. You were like, I don't want this to be a sort of like, you know, you use some colorful language. I don't want this to be, you know, just like a- a, I'll say it for you, a a blowjob of Marvel. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I know Hector is a a cleaner uh, dude than us. (laughs) But but also, Ed was like, I don't want it to be a book report where we yeah. just go through and we talk, oh, Iron Man 1 was so great. Ah, Iron Man 2 wasn't great. Oh, the first Avengers was so great. And I don't want to do that either. I would love to talk about the future. I would love to talk about mm-hmm. where they're going in the next couple of years, what kinds of decisions they might be making, what kind of decisions they have to make, because I think that still really relates to where they've been and you know how far they've come. So I would love to to focus on that as opposed to, you know, like, oh, what was their, what was their biggest, thing that they did in 2017 or what was it what was a turning point and why were the netflix shows really cool and you know, all that stuff is awesome and plenty of people have talked about it but would love to get your guys's thoughts on like what is next well okay before we do that and which i agree is the best thing that we should do but i do want to mention that i think one of the things and this might sound controver- controversial but i think one of the most important thing that kevin feige and all of his crew has done and it's going to sound weird, but it's not give a fuck about fans. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, mm-hmm. but 100%, they've not worried about what fans want or fans say. They focus on telling good stories. And they focus on taking the best of comic books and molding them into something that is put that is 
able to be put on screen and be visually uh, uh, appealing to the masses in general, but to like everybody for the most yeah. part. Yeah. While also being a little bit cutting edge at the same time. Well, I mean, and and uh, uh, just to continue that thought, the 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 actual synthesis of coming up with just the right things to cherry pick from fifty years of continuity. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. that whole process, the fact that we heard them making campuses of people who just sort of ate, got up, took a shower, went to an open campus and just sort of read Thor comics all day as part of this think tank to work on what this is going to be. Yeah. Seeing that they took those type of um, uh, that academic approach to it and trying to like grow people's minds around the material like you're a great screenwriter, you understand what a screenplay is. Mm-hmm. These are these sprawling tales that Jack Kirby's doing like four pages a day, trying to feed his family, mm-hmm. and we're gonna base a movie off this that somebody did, like uh, you know, uh, to feed their family real quick. You know what I mean? But it's brilliant in that. So what is brilliant in this that we can bring to 21st century screenwriting? That whole process. I felt like, I mean, and I do count Blade a little bit as part of that because to me, it was the very first time I'd seen a comic book movie per se that was better than the comics. That took what the comics had and said, yeah, I don't want him to just be a light, sensitive punk who throws stuff at people and Mm -hmm. hangs out with stronger vampires all day. I don't want him to be that. I want to be as powerful as a vampire with all their strengths and all their weaknesses except that one with a serum and that's his cross to bear and that's that's the price of all that power. Bringing mm-hmm. it into the Marvel purview, right? You always pay for your powers in Marvel. You always pay. Right. So the, so all that jazz, I counted as one of those because of that and I think following that format to to a certain T and like Ron said, not giving a damn if the fans are like, but, but actually Hannibal King is not no, I don't care. Yeah. I don't right. care what you think. Right. Wasn't Whistler like a character made up for the film? Right. Someone who wasn't in the comics. I don't, I I don't remember. Like, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember Whistler from, from Tomb of Dracula. I, I don't. Yeah. yeah I don't you, remember I mean, you, him either. So you guys, you guys so. are making, you're, you're making great points about this, 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 it's really difficult thing. It doesn't sound like it's difficult. If you are somebody who really studies comic books and superheroes and Marvel and DC and all of that crap, it's like telling somebody who played video games their whole life, yeah, you know, we just can't wrap our brain around this Mario thing. They're going to look at you like, are you stupid? Just make it, make the movie, just do it. But, you know, it, it's it's really interesting that within entertainment and Hollywood and the studio system that there were, we're talking now 20 years ago with movies like Blade and the first X-Men and the first Spider-Man, I don't feel that there were people working there with enough power and enough clout the producers, the directors who grew up with comics yep. and who understood it at that level. And if they did, there were people like uh, boo Joss Whedon, they're boo, boo him. He's the worst. There were people like him who like they were growing up on stuff from the 60s, 70s and 80s and were inspired by it. Definitely and influenced by it. Definitely, definitely. But but maybe the studio could never see them actually translating that from page to screen. Yeah. I think that 20 years ago, and I've heard Kevin Feige talk about this with a specific comic book, The Ultimates, by Mark Miller and artist Brian Hitch, where he said that he read that, and that's the first time he ever thought that the Avengers could work as a concept for a movie. Because before that, before that comic, I mean, just look at the types of comics that were coming out 20 years ago in the early 2000s. 
that were a lot of them were very post 9-11, Ultimates included, and they were very cinematic. They started to shift. They started to shift from being comic booky. They started to do away with the that little poofy thought bubble that we were so used to. And it just became cool, sleek captions, you know, to mm-hmm. to to give us the inner monologue of a character like Batman or whatever it was. And they moved away from from the more outlandish concepts and they kind of grounded everything and they were certainly influenced by movies i think marvel by movies like the first x-men movie and they were kind of sharing that with with hollywood at the same time but i think that the ultimate line of marvel comics really took everything and made it much purely more cinematic and i think brian michael bendis as a writer for ultimate spider-man graduating quote unquote Mm -hmm. from that to like the main avengers line you know, he was the man responsible for the Avengers being disassembled and then reassembled. And he put Wolverine and Luke Cage on the team and Spider-Woman and all this stuff where I think that he brought a real conversational, cinematic and kind of filmic language to comics. I think so many of those comics are what Kevin Feige was reading and looking at and going, yeah, this could work as a movie. This could work as a movie. This is what the movie should be like. This is what the movie character should sound like. That um that I'm almost surprised when stuff pre that finds its way into these adaptations and movies and stuff. And, and even with like Jack Kirby bringing up Jack Kirby, Ed with his eternals, which to her credit, director Chloe Zhao, who is fantastic. She's such a cool nerd. She's super cool. She was stoked about the Kirby-ness of it. And to me, so much of the Kirby comics are kind of impenetrable to a modern audience. How in the hell you can take something like that, and try to tonally put it into a modern thing. I think that's why Thor Ragnarok just like pulled the visual inspiration because visually Kirby is timeless. Kirby is immortal, but like the actual, when you read his Mr. Miracle, when you read his new gods, when you read his eternals, when you read, you know, some of the stuff he was doing with Stan Lee, it's very of its time and it's very like crunchy and it's very like old school. And and I'm still, and I still think that Eternals was definitely in, influenced by Jack Kirby and his storytelling. Sure. But I also think it took most of its inspiration from the Neil Gaiman Eternals comic, which I think is fine because I think mm-hmm. that comic book has more of the modern filmic, cinematic, you know, uh, take on the on those characters. Modern writing has moved to a point, and we guys were since we are eventually talking talking about what is going to be in the future, is that we've they've learned that writing things in scenes so that every time a chapter happens, it's a whole scene of something that you can really grasp and feel, uh, I think makes it easier to translate into uh, yeah. comic books and, I mean, into movies. And yeah. while I love Kirby's uh, New Gods to read his comic books, they are very hard to turn into to things yeah. because yeah. they're concepts, they're not scenes. And right. Also, also you can you can travel a uh, hundred and fifty thousand years in between the gutters of a panel, like from this panel to that yeah. panel, it's one hundred fifty thousand <laughs> years later, and then this next panel we're in the future, and so on and so forth. There's all this like when you actually use comic books for what they're for, they become remarkably uncinematic. Actually, yes, yeah, you yes. Know, when you do them kind of right, quote unquote. They're yes. remarkably uncinematic because they use techniques that cinema can't touch, like the the weird uh, distillation of time, the fact that you control 
your conception of time when you're looking at a comic book page. Mm -hmm. You can look at it for an hour or two seconds and flip it. You know what I mean? As if the worst for an artist when you draw like these pictures that take between like 16 and 40 hours <laughs> and you've got like 15 of them in your sketchbook and somebody can look at them in 10 seconds and be like, yeah, your stuff's pretty good. Yeah, you just you're like, like jump uh, out a window. <laughs> 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 but um, the, but to that point though, in in regards, okay, so going to the kind of uh, the present, I want to talk about the present of Marvel, so that by yeah. the time we're rounding it out, we can go to the um to the future, right? Yeah. So yeah. okay, at at present, we are looking at a brand, uh, that is branching out beyond its original products. It'd be like if Coke said, "Man, we can't make Coke anymore because we killed it." Yeah. So now we have to make new Coke and Sprite and all types of shit because we killed Coke. Cherry vanilla mm -hmm. Coke. You know what I mean? So yeah. So now we have cher cherry vanilla Coke. That's a that's a roadie. Roadie cherry vanilla Coke. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So like now that we're into the cherry vanilla Coke stage uh, of the Marvel Universe, what are some of the things that are standing out to you as far as um, I don't want to say missteps, but let's start around Eternals time. And sure. maybe for some of the series on D plus, I think that is a transitional point, obviously after end game, one of the things we talked about our bullet points of this thing is how do they top end game? And right. I am saying, I think I've made this point all the time about movies. I hate when the best scene is in the middle. I hate, I hate sure. stuff like face off has a great gun battle in the middle and it ends with a boat chase. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, after Dr. Richard Kimball uh, kills the guy who the one, our man who killed his wife, he has to do a whole nother act and go fight a mm -hmm. doctor at a doctor's mm -hmm. convention, chasing him around a desk. And it's just like, why don't you just end on the best scene with the greatest <laughs> thing? So Endgame is – you can't beat Endgame as far as emotional right. impact, as far as right. all the buildup. So I'm, I'm suggesting that mo like most cinema, I don't know that the end of Marvel, whenever that is, is determined by Endgame's greatness, even if it is the apex. We mm -hmm. still have so much more road to go. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great point, Ed. I don't know if now we're getting to this territory of like, what should how in what context can we talk about Marvel Studios and the MCU? In what what context? Because the context currently is well, it's a movie studio and they're owned by Disney, and the head of it is Kevin Feige, and they've got a whole group of people. Victoria Alonso was like running the visual effects, and you know all, all this different talent that they and they're making movies alongside television shows now that are for the streaming service Disney Plus, and they just sort of absorbed back the rights of some of the characters that are like street level heroes. So we just saw Matt Murdock, aka Daredevil, come back as a cameo. We just saw Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin come back as a cameo. That's what it is, and I think it is fair to compare that to like movie studios like Universal or you know I was going to say Fox. Sorry, they were purchased by the mouse or Warner Brothers or Sony or whatever. Oh, it's the same as what Warner Brothers is doing with HBO Max and whatever, whatever. But I also feel like it is it is like it, missing some context when we make those comparisons because to me, in my mind the most apt comparison would be to look at it as it just right next to Marvel comics themselves, because you just said, Ed, like Endgame is so good. How can they top it as a movie? Will there ever be the end of Marvel, you know, studios output? Will there, will the story ever end? And I just want to point to the comics. They're right here on my shelf. I'm pointing to them. And I'm like, this hasn't <laughs> ended. And they've nope. had to answer the same questions 
And they have gone through eras and phases where you can look at the big picture and go, what are they talking about in the 60s? What are they talking about in the 70s? Vietnam, mostly. What are they talking about in the 80s? Reaganism. What are they talking about in the 90s? Excess and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like that's kind of the impact of <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> and and what are they talking about in the 2000s? Like I said, it's post 9-11. And right now, if you look at Marvel Comics, they had an endpoint as well, probably in 2015 with Secret Wars. And you could read that and go, oh, what a great end to that chapter that started in 1961 with the Fantastic Four comics. But they 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 didn't end that. They kind of cheated and had their cake and ate it too. They ended the ultimate Marvel universe. They ended the original world where Miles Morales came from and they ended it and then they just absorbed Miles because he's so great and kept going. Um, and I look at Marvel comics and I also, I've read some comics, fellas, that have, believe it or not, moved me to tears from Marvel Love them so much. I also thought they were a, perf a perfectly beautiful fitting end to the entire Marvel story. If it if it is one big story and not just this huge, like you know, constantly evolving story engine. So mm -hmm. when looking at Marvel, they don't have an end goal. There's no end in sight. They might say that they're going to have one, but they're never going to they're never going to do that the way DC Comics has done it. DC Comics has faltered in sales, and they've gone, all right, we're going to wipe everything. We're going to wipe the slate clean. So buy this last comic because the month after that's going to be the first comic, Action Comics number one. We're starting over. We're rebooting it, and yeah. that helped them in their sales. And you know that that's that's been DC's way, and the way that they've tackled their story engine, and the way that they've tried to wrestle with their continuity and their canon, and all those weird, crunchy rules about their their characters. But I think Marvel has been like, look, if it happened in after Fantastic Four issue number one, it happened. If there's stuff that's outdated. You know, like you watch an old episode of The Simpsons and it's like, oh, look, his across the street neighbor is George Bush. He's dead now. Like, you you know, it's just of its time and you still have to pretend like that still happened within The Simpsons, you know, year in the life of The Simpsons family than the past year, even though the, the, the thing is frozen in time, but they keep moving forward. Anyway, Marvel has even tried to get crunchy and explain that. Oh, we have a sliding timeline, whatever. Um, there's some greater powers, cosmic entities that are manipulating their universe. Just, just, just read the comics. It's fine. Just read the comics. <laughs> I think that they are approaching this problem to solve by looking at legacy, by looking at their characters, looking at diversity, looking at inclusivity, looking mm -hmm. at, you know, what, what these characters mean to people and trying to meet fan demands while also trying to like let everybody know, Hey, you're all invited to the party and they're clumsy at that. And they mess up and, you know, and, 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 and a lot of their characters that end up sort of replacing quote unquote, the, the more well-known characters, whether it's Amadeus Cho as the Hulk or Sam Wilson as Captain America or whatever. The tricky thing about the comics universe is it's infinite, not finite. It is yep. infinite. So everybody who's reading those books, they go, well, yeah, but we know Steve Rogers is going to come back from the dead. You're not going to let him die. And I almost look at the MCU and I go, thank God you exist because I think you're almost like prepping the audience for being okay with a world where Tony Stark is dead, doesn't exist, or a world where Steve Rogers is retired, doesn't exist. And that may begin to transfer over to the comics. I think Sam Wilson, when he put down the shield and he went back to being Falcon again, I think now he's Cap again. I think they're just going to have two Caps. And that may eventually lead to, well, maybe there'll be a world where Steve Rogers will really, truly stop 
being Captain America. I mean, he we, we've read so many stories where he's aged back up again. And just like at the end of the movie, and he's like, oh, it's you now, Sam. And we've read that and we've read it and we've read it. And maybe Marvel Comics will have start to add some finality to some of their characters. They have before. The original Captain yeah. Marvel is dead and not coming back. Marvel, that alien, yeah. the male hero character, he's he's dead and they're not using him this as the Captain Marvel. It's now Carol in the same way that DC Comics doesn't use Alan Scott as Green Lantern. They keep going back to Hal, but that's another conversation like even after they even after Popular culture has been like, we like Jon Stewart as Green Lantern. We love him in the cartoon. And DC Comics continues to go back to Hal. But that's a different thing. But I think that um, Marvel, the brand, I don't know if they will ever straight up announce or plan for or have some kind of series finale for their franchise. And again, when you talk to movie people, that doesn't make sense in their brain. They go, yep. no, there's going to be another Tony Stark. They've recast Bond before. And I'm going, this Iron Man is not James Bond. This yep. is this is a completely different situation. They are building fan loyalty to a degree that we haven't. The last time anything came close to this was when the last Harry Potter movie was coming out. And the trailers were like, the event of a generation. A generation that has grown up with this character. The final, <laughs> the finale of a generation. And like, they can't, you can't do that no, with never anything else. That. You're never going to see that with anything no. else. You're never going to see that well, with, you know, anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of of serial storytelling. I mean, that's that's the power of comics. And and it's funny because I feel like nobody saw that power ever before, before right. they let Feige see it. Because the power of serial storytelling is that you always have more stories to tell. Yes, yes. And I agree. One of the things that Marvel has done that is fantastic is start to have more diversity in their casting and in their characters. And it's right. been in the comic books for a long time. And so bringing that into uh, the, the, the movies is genius on a bunch of different levels. Mm -hmm. um, for one, and uh, I, I know we probably don't have a lot of people who listen to this that are conservative, but I think that it introduces a little bit of diversity into people's lives who are not always open to diversity. Yeah. And it does it in a way that's really fun and really interesting and isn't punching you in the face with diversity. Uh, right. Not that I'm against punching in the face with diversity, I'm a super <laughs> fan of it. But I, I think when you can do it in a cool way that makes everyone yeah. just have a great time, everyone becomes a little more open to it. And then on top of yeah. that, people who have been underrepresented get to see themselves on the big screen and TV as yeah, well. Beautiful. And I just, what, what is better than that? I, 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 it makes me super happy and I'm getting a little choked up <laughs> thinking about it. Cause it's, <laughs> it's, it's just it's, a beautiful it, thing that they pulled off. Have you guys been seeing any of the press behind the movie, everything everywhere all at once? God, I'm going to go see it today. It, are you really? Yeah. I'm okay. wanting to see it. I just haven't had time. It looks fucking incredible. It's really, really great. I really loved it. But one of my favorite things from the interviews that they've been doing is that the famous short round actor who has now grown up, uh, Kihi Kwan, has said that like he retired from on camera acting until a few years ago. It was literally him watching the movie Crazy Rich Asians up on screen that he was like, oh, 
okay, I miss that. I want to be up there with them. I want to act with Michelle Yeoh. I want to, you know, like that he could, he could see it. And he, yeah. and he felt like he was missing out. And, and he's, he has talked about how great it is to see more Asian and Asian American representation in movies. And I'm sure he was referencing things like Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings and, you know, what's been happening there. But, but yeah, there's, it's, 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 you know, he's, he's very happy about, him being a part of that conversation, he said, if somebody sees me in this movie, everything, everywhere, all at once, and they look up and they, and they, you know, see themselves that he's like really, really excited about that and really happy about that. So yeah, I agree. That's all, that's all part of it. And, and, um, I, I think that that's a, a, a definite focus in their next era, you know, in phase four, if you want to sum it up that way, but I want to go back to Ed talking about some of where, we are right now. It is definitely a transitional period with this franchise. They mm-hmm. did a, they did Eternals. Was it a misfire? I really enjoyed it, but I look at that movie and I go, "This is not made for everybody. This is not the most mainstream thing." And I feel like they're they're getting into these characters. Set aside X Men and Fantastic Four, who have been unavailable to them, so not a part of their party yet. Mm-hmm. But they're getting into characters like Moon Knight or concepts like What If where I'm going, this is not mainstream. Even in Marvel Comics, they're obscure characters and concepts, and and they all have their, like, like when I meet somebody who is a fan of Eternals from the comics, like they're a fan of any of the characters from, from that world, the Eternals, I'm like, you are weird. You are cool <laughs> and interesting, you know? Or when I meet people who are like, Moon Knight is my guy, I go, you've read a lot of comics. You're weird. Yep. That's awesome. He is not a popular. Uh, we've run out of the characters with last name of Man. <laughs> There's no more Spider Man <laughs> and Iron Man and Batman. You know, so they're getting into these into this weird stuff. So I'm seeing some of the response and reaction to these stories, and I think a lot of it is great internet culture where the internet ate up Wandavision. Yep. I think Loki has so much residual love for forever. Tom Hiddleston Loki is just like a Tumblr favorite, like he's going to, he's going to crush on the internet and he does. We'll have a crush on him. He's great. You know, um, I, I saw a lot of love for the Falcon and the winter soldier, but I also saw a lot of people being like, Hey, this is it, this big bombastic captain America four. And I saw that even as a transitional show. I'm like, yeah, this is like, he's not cap yep. yet. Like it's like, it, you know, this feels like it is a prelude to a captain America movie or like a, you know, previously on Sam Wilson's life. Um, (laughs) but, but I'm seeing the response and it, it does make me feel like, yeah, okay. Because these, not every one of these characters is Spider-Man or Wolverine or Venom or the Hulk or like the most popular Marvel characters, you know, but I think it's also crazy that we're gotten to, we've gotten to a point where fans are excited about talking about and kind of demanding like a Scarlet Witch movie. And I applaud, I'm like, kudos, like, great. That's great to, to, to focus on a character like that who is very much a supporting character mostly in Avengers comic books you know a member of the large roster sort of team and I think since the comics of like House of M and kind of what that character went through there and sort of elevated her to to more of a I mean she's always had this kind of dark and interesting story and kind of messed up past but I I'm really happy that like a character at that level or the vision or you know, uh, uh, Kate Bishop Hawkeye is in a show, in a in a six yeah, episode crazy. Hawkeye show, um, but it is all 
not clear where they're going right now. It's it's comic book fans going, okay, we know they're building up characters that are the Young Avengers, but yep. they haven't announced a Young Avengers movie. They haven't they you know they haven't set up one of those press conferences where they're like, here's Phase Three, and we have the last two Avengers movies split in two, and here's you know this is what all is going to lead up to. It's called Infinity War, and that's what we're doing. Parts one and two. Yeah. So we have Arguably no idea they, where they're going. Arguably, they're even doing Dark Avengers. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. With and, um, uh, uh, Black what, Knight and and um, 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 Yelena and yeah. and U.S. Agent and yep, US you Agent. know these these characters who are maybe being recruited by Contessa Valentina De Fontaine, like. Mm-hmm. you know who it just it's so crazy that that character is even in any of these things i mean it's but it's it it doesn't seem like they are uh resting on their a list and immediately getting to like oh okay we, we we've recast wolverine we got a new wolverine he's going to be in everything we've we're doing fantastic four you know we've got the biggest movie stars in the world these four movie stars it's going to it's this is what it's going to be yeah. so yeah it's transitional ed what do you well, think i mean but I, what the thing I was thinking about this whole time uh, is obviously it's goofy as hell to say that two giant mega corporations that are just stomping on us like ants are actually fighting. So like this concept <laughs> that there's ever this really this real DC Marvel uh, outside of fans' heads, the fact that they think there's any you know uh, rivalry is kind of preposterous. But when you really look at it, it is kind of true. It's like it's like two different ways to go about it. Like Batman, I would argue. Batman is as big as five Marvel characters. Oh, easily. And DC easily. goes, and DC goes, you're right. He is. So we got to pound this guy home. So he's in the animated movies. He's in the regular movies. They'll always make sure. Like I, when I came to, I was watching, I think I was watching Dark Knight Rises and I wasn't liking it and I was mad. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, and I calmed myself down by saying, this is probably the one of 10 to 12 Batmans you'll see in your life. If you oh, take yeah. care of yourself, even a little bit, you'll see 10 to 12 <laughs> of these. I think that uh, part of what we're all discussing right now and what Marvel Studios has done and what the future is, is that there has been nobody historically at the Warner Brothers studio that has understood what we're talking about, understood the potential, the potentiality of these characters and has tried to set up an infrastructure to where, hey, if we have an actor who passes away or who uh, d- walks away from this role and doesn't want to do it anymore or for whatever reason and they're like a big popular character, we should probably populate that movie franchise with other characters so that we can you know, keep it going. And mm-hmm. Warner Brothers did not consider that idea with like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Robin or Dick Grayson or whatever, yep. you know, Robert Blake or whatever his character was because that wasn't sort of a real – like it wasn't a real commitment. It was just more of more of like, we want to bring in Ro- Joseph Gordon-Levitt who Christopher Nolan just worked with. And this is Christopher Nolan's way of addressing the Robin idea. And then the movie's over and there is a finality there. And then that franchise is over. But you look at what Zack Snyder was doing with his characters and his movies and nobody at Warner brothers was going, okay, cool, cool, cool. So you're bringing in Ben Affleck. Awesome. We love him. We love working with him. He's an older Bruce Wayne. Okay. That's cool. Awesome. But at some point, we want to keep this thing going and we want to bring in other characters. Can we introduce or hint to Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, Kate Kane? Are they in play? There's no, nobody at dead. Warner Brothers. They're all dead. We killed right. them. <laughs> right. There, and yeah. because nobody at Warner Brothers 
is sort of going to bat for the larger thing. And depending on who you ask, that's a good or bad thing. But what yeah. ends up happening is they have no infrastructure. Ben Affleck is going, ah, I'm good. I'm done. I didn't like the way that went. And I'm working on myself and I, you know, I, I'm, I can choose to not do this anymore. Yep. The thing is, is that Ben Affleck was playing Batman, who, like you said, Ed, is as popular as five Marvel characters. And in my mind, he is 30 to 50 percent of the of the pillars that are holding up the DC universe, that so many things stem from Bruce Wayne, specifically Batman, the idea of Bruce Wayne as Batman, that nothing else really works. The dominoes don't fall if that thing isn't solid and good to go. The comics don't have to worry about this. Because the comics can just continue to rely on, I'm talking about DC comics, can continue to rely on like Batman's been active for five years, 10 years, 50, whatever. It doesn't matter. Batman's been around. And so all of these comic book characters over the years that have been introduced, they're already just at play. Even if we start the universe over with the yeah. new 52, boom, they're already all here. And that's a shortcut, but it's still not because they're still technically referring to comic book stories that happened before that universe reset that you could refer to. There's no other movies that happened before man of steel that are considered part of the man of steel averse or the yeah. DCEU. There's nothing. So they have to build everything from the ground up. And because that infrastructure doesn't exist when it got around time to make another Batman movie, because a Batman movie equals many, many dollars. Um, they met with people and nobody again was going to bat for that shared universe concept. Nobody was meeting with Matt Reeves and going, look, we know that you may fundamentally disagree with the world that the Ben Affleck Bruce Wayne lives in. But what if we did this? What if we tweak that? What if we what if you could tell your story in this way instead? Because they, you know, as they're saying, they're a director driven studio, even though they really effed over a director and hired another piece of shit director um, that they're like, OK, just do whatever you want. That's fine. Again, when Zack Snyder was like, yeah, I want to have Robin in this movie. The Robin's dead. Nobody at the studio was going like, maybe that's not the we maybe we could use that. They went, OK, yeah, we don't care. That's sure, fine. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, Because they're not making DC Comics Universe the movie. They're letting directors come in <sighs> and, and, see, and do do whatever they want. And let's talk and about how fine. huge a mistake that is. Just let's let's just let's break our own universe right now. Say we <laughs> have someone playing Dick Grayson in that whole thing in the background, in the in background of Justice League. Sure. Well, now when Batman's gone, he dies, right. let's say. Yeah. Well, Dick Grayson now has to replace Batman. Now you have a storyline where Dick Absolutely. Grayson doesn't feel strong enough, doesn't feel smart enough, doesn't feel badass enough to replace Absolutely. Batman. So you have a whole movie where you can yeah. tell the story of someone having to replace their icon and becoming that icon. And and the other like weirdly important thing, not just for financially, but like on the creative side, this is also weirdly important is that every new Star Wars piece of media is still always going to include the original Star Wars movies. They are canon. They happened. You can always go back to that. That's a mine you can continue to well. Yeah. A, a well you can continue to mine. <laughs> <laughs> Both. And I think that like, yeah, what you're just describing, Ron, it's like imagine if there was a, a, a movies that kept coming out that really did refer to Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice and yep. Justice League, and The Suicide Squad, and Man of Steel. And those movies kind of exist because, like, James Gunn's Suicide Squad is that. So is the Birds of Prey movie by Kathy Yan, and I really love that movie. Me and too. so is conceivably Aquaman 2 and Shazam 2, and all that stuff's really great. But it, it, it it's it's weird because those movies are being made by folks who are grabbing onto one thing 
and being like, cool, I'm making my Aquaman stuff. And it doesn't feel as though the studio, in my mind, has the sort of confidence in the brand or yeah. the, 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 the know-how to kind of navigate this, this thing and to keep it going for years on years on years on years on end. That they're just like, great, James. Hey, whenever we can get, we can figure it out. Whenever we get around to it, whenever we can schedule it, you'll do Aquaman too. And then, you know, who knows? And then question mark, we'll go from there. And when they just pivoted to just do a reboot of the Batman, or when they just pivoted and let Todd Phillips do Joker, I think that those movies, I dislike Joker, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. And it has a gorgeous score and there's great performances Mm -hmm. in it. And it looks beautiful. Looks beautiful. And I didn't, Love the Batman, but I really liked the Batman, actually. I liked it. And I think Matt Reeves is a great director. And I think Robert Pattinson, I think, again, everybody did a great job. But there's specific things that are not, that don't line up with what Hector loves that are in that movie. But I do love how he didn't kill people and they made it a point to do that. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, when they pivoted to rebooting that, imagine if there was a world where Matt Reeves could tell a similar-ish story but it's still tied in with what they had been working on for years. Yeah. And the difference is, is that if you don't love the thing they've been working on for years, you're happy that it's rebooted. And if you mm-hmm. love that thing, you're kind of bummed that it's rebooted because it's this feeling of like, well, I invested this time. But like you said, Ed, you got to calm yourself down as a fan. You go, whatever, Christian Bale's Batman. It's a fun three movie romp. Who cares? It's like, now it's like the same as, popping in an old episode of the 60s Batman show. How can you get yeah. mad at that? It's charming as all hell. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get how are you going to get mad at Vincent Price playing Egghead? What mm-hmm. di- it makes no impact on your life. It makes no yeah. difference. You but know, Spider-Man but, went no way home somehow yeah. took movies that I didn't like for the most part and That's, made me like them. Isn't That's that insane? Amazing. It's so amazing. That, here's the other thing. The other thing we're talking about it's like Warner Brothers is going to dabble in this. Warner Brothers is trying to actually address this dumb bullshit fanboy stuff we're talking about by putting out a Flash movie and being like, okay, you want your Batman? Here's Michael Keaton. And I love Michael Keaton as Batman in those movies. I just don't see that meshing tonally. I will say, Ron, I'm glad you brought up No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, because like I maybe would have thought that those things didn't wouldn't mesh. But yeah. Truthfully, the PG thirteen. Yeah, oh, me too. But the but but those worlds and the tone of those worlds, and even the actors in those worlds: Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Tobey Maguire, Thomas Hayden Church's voice, Reese Ifrin's no, yeah, Fox. his voice. But Jamie Fox. But Jamie Fox was smart because he's like, I'm just going to do a completely different performance, yep. and everyone was yeah. like, Cool. Like everyone was like, Great. And him, great. Him, him talking about that, he's like, Listen, I was blue before, you know. You know, my crew still rolled with me, but now they're like, okay, now we see you. Like, you know, that was that was really, really. It almost felt like again, Marvel Studios has just nailed this this formula and nailed this tonality so well that they were able to go back and almost remake or fix the mistakes of very successful Spider-Man films by Sony and even the the Sam Raimi ones that you're going like, what did they need to fix there? Well, they killed off those villains. Yeah. Because they didn't have the forethought they, to yeah. build up to the Sinister Six. So yeah. here is whoever the genius was who who produced Spider-Man No Way Home or writ, wrote it or directed it, whose ever idea it was to be like, let's find an excuse to bring back 
Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina and actually have them talk to one another like they know each other because you know what? They should know each other because they're all Oscorp. Mm -hmm. It's fanboy fireworks in your brain and you're going, why didn't they do this in 2004? Because they didn't, that's not how movies were made. But these aren't movies, they're Marvel comics, <laughs> you know, being adapted. That's that's the key difference. Well, and, and just to seize on that point, though, okay, so that's what's going on right now is this extension of the uh, sort of, the the universe is expanding, right? The yeah. Marvel Universe yes. is expanding in all these different directions. So we got new Captain America. We got, you know, Kate Bishop to replace uh, old Hawkeye who wants to go home for Christmas, yada, yada. So I get all that, but is it actually, as a Hulk truther, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where you see the casualties of this beautiful, mm. wonderful, perfect universe. And I do kind of want to talk about a couple of the sins of Marvel, because there was a Twitter thread. Somebody said one of the original sins of the original Marvel universe was everybody was white. And so that mm -hmm. has made mm -hmm. them have to do all this diversity push and replace certain characters or, or, you know, you know, the whole Tiki Torch guy, you will not replace us uh, the, the, to, to, to sideline certain characters for a little bit to introduce another character. And there's all this talk about how, like it with the contract contract structure, even with royalties, are you going to, I'm black creator. I'm wildly creative. Am I going mm -hmm. to go to Marvel and give mm -hmm. them my best dope, good, original, new black character? Fuck no, I'm not. Right. Fuck no, I'm not. I'm not yeah. about to sit my black ass in the theater and watch myself being a fucking special thanks under the yeah. janitors and shit. Here's, no your, here's your check for five grand. Thank you so much. We've invited you to the premiere. Here's here's your check for five grand. Oh, the movie opening yeah. weekend made eleven billion dollars. It's rough. <laughs> so, rough. so that so that's like a big. Meanwhile, rough. there's an, an artist living in an apartment. Yeah. In, in a in a and not even like in L.A. Like yeah. in Oregon, just because that's where he can afford an apartment on his <laughs> yeah. drawing. You know, it's like fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm getting yeah, and I'm getting yeah, I'm getting paid. So if I'm a famous writer, I'm getting paid more than the Argentinian fellow that they have on Fiverr doing this mm -hmm. shit for exposure. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And and I'm saying this all that to say I understand that there are sins of the marvel yep. uh of this whole marvel enterprise one of which is the jacking of creators and the, the whole iterative nature of comic books giving them an infinite well that's already paid for yep. ideas right. that are already all the way paid for in most respects that's that's a brilliant scam right there that's yeah. that's that's up there with the fucking railroads and, and the cotton gin well and it's the dangers of corporations by the way because they yeah. don't think of things in morality they thinks of things in have, what is allowed. And yeah. Have you guys hey, have, have you guys talked about on this podcast or previous iteration of you guys sitting in a room talking together about that sort of loophole when it comes to I think it was very it came to prominence and we all kind of heard more about it when when it was brought up with the Arrowverse TV shows. Have you guys talked about this? Where mm -hmm. Killer Frost is on the Flash show, right? Yeah. But the Killer Frost that is on that show is a female character. So because Killer Frost as a character, when, when invented for comic books, was the male version and this character comes after, they don't have to pay the original creator in the comics because like, well, this is a different version. This is the female version. This is not the male Killer Frost. But then the loophole is, that. then the loophole is, okay, well, then are you going to pay the person who created Caitlin 
Frost or whatever her name is in, you know, the, the second character, the loophole then is, no, we don't have to pay that person because they didn't create Killer Frost. It's this weird. Wow. And when people started talking about that online, that loophole, it's enraging. It's so frustrating. And, and, and the other thing we've heard about is that, you know, that Ed Brubaker made more money as an actor in the background of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, like in a cameo capacity, has made more money from that mm -hmm. job than anything that he was paid for whilst writing and creating the Winter Soldier. And he did, oh. I mean, he didn't create Bucky Barnes, but the Winter Soldier is a character he created, right? Bucky was created by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon back yep. in the 40s in 1941 or whatever, in the first issue of Cap. But, um, but you hear that stuff and you go, dude, it's not like, I think that uh, Ed Brubaker should be paid as much as, uh, um, you know, as Sebastian Stan. Yeah. But I'm like, but the when we're hearing that Disney or Marvel or whoever sends the creators a check for $5,000, I'm going, you can at least add a couple zeros to that. If one of these creators got a bonus check of 50 grand, that's a drop in the bucket for their opening week. You know, that kind of, when it you start to look at those. To them and it, it means, means everything to the creator. Yes. It, like, like there should be some system set up where it's like, who's the creator? What's their income right now? Like where, what city do they live in? What's their like, what's their, you know, that do, do the math where you go, let's what's pay your comfortable? A year. Let's, here you go, mm -hmm. a year of wherever you yeah. live and what American city or city around the world. Here you go, just for creating this character. Plus we're going to invite you to the premiere. And I feel like then Marvel Comics creators would be like, oh, hell yeah, on board. Like, let's all, you know, let's all be part of it. But it's such a bummer when you hear these stories. It's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. And like, I know right now yeah. that Marvel executives are listening to this. And I yeah. want to point out to you. <laughs> yeah. I want to point out to them. Think about the long-term future. Yes. If you think about the long-term future and you take care of creators, they will keep creating for you. And you yeah. cannot hide the things you do anymore. If enough right. people yeah. hear about this and stop supporting you because of those things, it will cost you money. Okay. But Ron, I, I, Ron. Just wanna, I just want to uh, just, just as I was a quick counterpoint, you're probably yeah. going to come in too. It's that's not going to happen because people yeah. don't care. Uh, uh, people are going to. I was going to say, Ron. It sounds like you're challenging them. Don't challenge them. Don't test oh, them. Yeah, yeah. Because I, because they will be like, we can. We'll do it ourselves. We'll make up characters. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, we don't have the rights to Moon Knight. Okay, here's Sun Girl. Like, like, don't challenge them because they will. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, they because they'll be like, hey. Although, like, again, like, yeah. I think the power of Marvel, and I, this sounds. I don't. I. I'm not trying to suck the dick of, of this gentleman. <laughs> But I think it's that they have Kevin Feige, who's yeah. an actual comic book fan. And, yes, and I, I agree. I, look, I, I hope that he's out there trying to argue for some of these guys getting a little more money. I, I hope that that's happening yeah, because and, he's a real fan. But we also saw we also saw that, like, according to the press, and if it's not true, it's very good press. And here's the other thing about Kevin Feige is that Papa Feige knows how to do press. This guy knows what to say and how to say it. And it feels like he's had training. He's so good at it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm yeah. truly giving him a compliment. I think he, he's fantastic. And I think everybody else who works at his level could learn so many things from how from how he does what he does with press. But I, I, I we, we've heard that he was like apparently arguing for Scarlett Johansson to get paid during the pandemic because of the Disney Plus streaming deal that he was really mad that she, you know, took Disney to court, that he was apparently really like get this woman happy with this deal like you know that that we've heard some of that kind of stuff from him behind the scenes 
I just want to say also too, for the Disney or Marvel executives listening, that having the creators <laughs> happy is better PR and better PR is more worth it to you than a second boat. That's all I'm going to say that again, yeah. it's a drop in the bucket. Get these people, get these creators taken care of, especially because now they are raising a generation of people on their movies and IP that love Marvel as much as I do, as much as you guys do, that they're going to grow up and be like, I want to go write for Marvel comics. And that's really exciting when they get there. Don't crush their dreams. When they get there, let them know, hey, you create a character and it really takes off and ends up in a movie, you'll get $50,000 bonus and be able to, you know, just like you'll get taken care of. You'll get a year's bonus or whatever if it goes there. Um, because, you know, it always comes back to the comic books. And I do want to say, too, that Marvel Studios, at least creatively, it does feel like they... It's 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 a challenge because people are are pointing to Hawkeye and they're going, you guys are ripping off the titles, the logos from yeah, that's the all artists. Fraction. It's all it's oh, definitely yeah, but Matt Fraction, David Aha, yeah, David Aha, but Matt yeah, and, and the interesting thing is Matt Fraction hired as a consultant on that show. Yep, not because Marvel reached out to him, but because Matt Fraction was friends with Seth Meyers. And Seth Meyers was friends with the director and showrunner because he was coming from the New York SNL world and was like, oh, let me introduce you guys because you're doing Hawkeye and I'm friends with the guy who wrote this book that you're basing it on. You guys should meet. And then through that was he hired as a consultant. And I'm sure he probably got pretty well paid. But yeah, did David Aha get paid? Did, no. you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's wild. And again, another thing I'll throw out there for that Marvel executive listening for the Disney executive, Stan Lee has passed. We had an amazing Kelly Sue DeConnick cameo in Captain Marvel. Just do that. Just hire mm -hmm. them because that payday of them having a background bit or a line the way Stan Lee did, get them SAG after a, a availability or eligible or whatever. Like, like put them in that system. Hollywood is just this weird thing that there are so many ways to make a bunch of money, but everybody who lives out here is poor except for the people who live up on the hill. But there's all these weird little opportunities and loopholes and different stuff. Mm -hmm. Bring on the comic book creator, pay him to fly him out to Atlanta, Georgia, where you're filming the movie or whatever, or the TV show. Have him do a background cameo, walk by, say a line, oh, hey, nice suit, or whatever dumb little winky you know thing. And then they'll get paid for that. And at the very least, <laughs> when they get paid for that, and then they get their little bonus check of $5,000, they can be like, yeah, whatever, sure, I'll cash this. But this is this was nice. So, <laughs> and, and it's, and it's experience for everybody. Um, uh, also, uh, what that was people like David aha, we talked, we talked on briefly on our Hawkeye episode. Why don't you just kind of have him be like for that title sequence, this is my design theory that I was thinking uh -huh. about for uh -huh. that. And then the people go, yeah, we get it. And you go, yeah, I know you get it, but I just made X amount of thousands of dollars. So I'm going to go draw in the corner while you guys execute this Done. thing that I don't know how to do. Absolutely. And, oh, and it's like, oh, well, we're, we're sorry we're being such a dickhead to you, David. Aha. Uh -huh. Do you want to mm -hmm. watch us do this thing? And now yeah. David Aha uh -huh has this new screen printing skill that he can add to yeah. his comic repertoire or he can work in movies later or whatever. I love this idea of giving him these kind of mafia jobs where he's just like, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm at the docks. Hey, I'm at the yeah. docks. I go get a sandwich. I get 12 hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. that do that for these creators uh so as we as we start to go into the the actual future we haven't even we haven't gotten we've gotten a little bit to what they're doing now so the actual future what yeah. do you, I, I just want to Here's, talk about what i conceive of what the future actually is real quick ooh. because i think in the end i think 
we're not talking in phases anymore. I really think they're going to start phasing out phases yep. because mm-hmm. it's going to get too cumbersome. A phase, phase, uh, V I I I I, you know, just stop it. Like the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's it's going to get it's going to be an indicia. So okay, so stop that bullshit. In the actual future, do you think that they're going to like? What's the lowest level characters that you think are actually going to be on screen? And do you? What do you think the criteria is for a show versus a movie? Because I think it's a beautiful thing that they did Night Moon Knight as a as a show. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be a mean dickhead. And I'm not trying to be a person who capes for the original Moon Knight conception of being sometimes sort of a Bruce Wayne, sometimes this, sometimes that. Uh, I will say in the comic books, what I enjoyed was that mostly Mark Spector was a crazy fuck. Mm -hmm. And and, and maybe crazy is too pejorative now, but he was he was unbalanced. And he kind of reveled in it in one of his identities, much like the Batman did, much like Spider-Man does sometimes, frankly. You revel in a certain part of your personality as part of this other identity. But then there was this extra thing of, well, I did sort of get way more hardcore at this and get the idea for a dope costume and stuff while I was almost died in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I feel a little stronger on like uh, on the full moon. And sometimes I kind of wake up different places. You know, it started to get more interesting than Batman in that respect. It started to be mm-hmm. its own thing. And I just feel like now in the show, it's like he's sort of a cosmic dude that fights dogs and stuff people can't see. And before it was like a mercenary who may or may not have been crazy and may or may not have been getting help from a super god. Conchu may or may not be real. Right. Right. That to me was where it was at. And now that Conchu is real as fuck and Mm -hmm. powerful as fuck. Why is Moon Knight ever losing? Why now? Now Moon Knight has more superpowers than he ever had in the comic books, except for certain times where he would steal other people's powers in certain adventures. You know, mm-hmm. to kind of Batman him up to put him over. So I'm just asking. Yeah, I think with 2020 hindsight, I'm three episodes in. Yeah, I might have made this one one hour and fifty minute movie, and mm. and I think it might have been a more focused thing because again, I'm three episodes in, and each sure. of the episodes was the same fucking thing over again. I don't think I'm crazy in that. So I just feel as though maybe that's a movie, but it was not popular enough to do the box office that a movie would be necessary. So mm. all that I just said to go yeah. now, how how with that metric I just provided, what sort of things do you think will be movies and TV shows in the I, future yeah. and why? And that's where we're going to leave it for this episode of The Greatest Pod. Have no fear. Hector will be back next week for us to finish our conversation about the Marvel Universe and its greatness as well as its sins. I hope that everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, I hope that the Marvel stands enjoyed the, the, the shots that we took at the franchise. I hope the people that hate Marvel and Disney were able to find something instructive in our our dissection of exactly you may hate it but there are reasons why this marvel slash disney slash feige whatever formula is working so thank you guys for uh, supporting our podcast we are growing by leaps and bounds um i would love to see more reviews a fourth of you drop reviews would be like an avalanche i'd love for an eighth of you to join the Patreon so that we can keep making this content and so that we can uh, expand our powers, maybe hire somebody to do some editing so our YouTube videos can get spiffed up, you know what I mean? And join our Instagram. The Greatest Pod is on Instagram as The Greatest Pod. Uh, go ahead and join our Instagram. I'm 
going to dump a bunch of art there this weekend, uh, right before you see this episode. So again, thank you for listening to another marvelous episode of The Greatest Podcast.